one. And welcome to Nothing Comes Easy for Me. This is Joe McAvoy hosting the podcast. Nothing comes easy for me. Nothing comes easy for me. Tonight, my guest is Jeremy Vissette. How are you doing, Jeremy? Hey, Joe. How are you doing, buddy? You've got a beautiful singing voice. Thank you very much. Someday I'll get somewhere as a singer. I hope so. You know, put it up online. You can be a internet sensation. So tell me, Jeremy, is there something that doesn't come easy for you? Oh, my God, Joe. Where to begin? I think, like everybody, I'm my own worst enemy. Uh, the two bigger things, two biggest things I would say affect me is the, like a lot of people, it's hard for me to focus on the important things in my life. And then the other things would just be like, you know, self-doubt, believing that I'm worthy of certain things and having that nagging voice in the back of my head make me question everything. Do you have that little man on your shoulder that's two inches tall? I've got a whole chorus of people, Joe. <laughs> You're telling me everything that can go wrong. Uh, they sound like my father. They sound like my mother. They sounded like other family members. They sound like myself. And they make a very detailed case. They're very good at what they do. Well, And I sometimes, but usually the case has gone on for too long and it gets sent to another court. What, what I was getting at was I took acting classes out here in Hollywood for three years and they, they told us that little man on your shoulder is always holding you back. Yeah, again, like it's easy to understand it intellectually, but know it emotionally that you're your own worst enemy and that you're really the one who gets in your own right, way. Right, right. And that we can all like be like, well, if only this happened or that happened. And uh, before we were doing this podcast, you had some technical difficulties and I'm like, it's not as hard as you think it is. It's just, you got to sit down and like slowly figure out the problem and you can do it. And you were able to do that and figure it out. And I think that's a testament to just being like, calm down. You know, you, you got me through this with so much patience, and I really appreciate it. But the, the reason for this podcast isn't to grill a guest on something that doesn't come easy for them. It's we all have this in our lives. Different people have different abilities. Some things they're really talented at, like you're a comedian and I've seen your work. And then there's other people that have other talents. Okay, here's a question for you. Do you think talents are something you're born with or that's something that can be learned behavior? Oh, it's a gene you're born with. Yes, definitely. Here, here's my counterpoint to that because I do think there definitely is something to that. Like people, Jimi Hendrix is like the greatest guitar player of all time. People go, he's a genius. He's got this gift from God. And it's like, that's all true. But he also, it's almost like a disservice to him because he would also practice the guitar, according to him, and I believe him, 10 hours a day since he was 12. Sure. So it's him total gift from god also isn't totally true because he did work his ass off at that well you know it's like this you you do have to work at it but when you have the talent you improve and you can do it and people can work with you when you don't have the talent it just isn't going to work out for you right because the flip side of that is like Jimi hendrix would do a lot of covers of bob dylan songs bob dylan is by all accounts not a great singer not a great musician right considered greatest songwriter of all time because he wanted to be you know what i mean yeah you have to want to do it you have to work at it and enjoy it and have fun with it just like we are this evening yeah but what i'm saying is you know some people are talented as an actor others are comics somebody else can sing as you've mentioned somebody else can hit you home run when you need one 
and then there's those that that watch that they can't do this kind of stuff. So you fall under the category that it's it's an inherited trait. I think if you can, as an artist, and I've seen this in person to people I don't even know, you can pick up a pen and draw something that's that's talent. Right. I will say this too, though, because I've been thinking a lot about this myself because it comes back to the issue of like in your own way, you people can put that fantasy in their head that it's a gift from God and that Jimi Hendrix is always going to be a great guitar player. But this still comes on the fact he did practice 10 hours a day every day since he was 12. Right. He worked Stephen for King is a, an amazing novelist who's written like 50 some odd books. Most of them run a thousand pages long. And when you read his book on writing, which I normally don't enjoy those, he's just like, hey, I've every day rain or shine, whether it's a holiday or not. I work for five hours a day from, I think it's like eight till 1 p.m., 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. And I just stop, and I've always done that. It's like, well, it's certain, but that's like the real workman, like the the war of art. That is what it comes down to. It's like a gift from God. Sure, some people have a million people have a, a knack or a talent for something, but to have like the willpower and the discipline to sit down and become amazing at something, you or re- you a- really want to do it. Uh, Ernest Hemingway was a great writer, right. uh, and he worked just like what you're talking. And there was a special about him a month or so ago on PBS, and I learned a lot about his life. You know, I knew a few things. Did they get into his suicide? Yes, like, as I yes at the end. It was a biography, yes. yes. He had this, like, idea in his head that he's like, he has writer's block and can't write anymore. He was also a hardcore alcoholic. Yes, they, they brought all that up. Yes, they did. But the point is, when he worked, he put in that five to, eight to ten hour days working. Do they understand what eventually drove him to a suicide beyond like the alcohol? Because like, if he says it comes down to just his writers. Oh, uh, no, he, it ran in the family. His father had committed suicide and other family members. And uh, it, again, you, you're only guessing why what pushes someone to have uh, to commit suicide. And it's like it's genetic and it's family. But it's like, is it because you think that's a thing you have to do? Like Kurt Cobain killed himself, too. Right. And he, I think the the way they wrote this up on their research, it was kind of like, honestly, he wasn't very happy with his life. Right, right. And he just came it, – it, the whole thing about it that I got out of watching it four hours, a lot of people liked Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway didn't like himself. So that, Okay, so like I'm trying to tie this back. Like do you think that's him – being like cursed because he's got the suicide gene, whatever that is, a suicide for, or the gene for depression. Yeah. And so he had to kill himself or is it because he was like, and this is something I'm wrestling with myself too. He's in love with the idea of his own status as depression because therapy wasn't as common back then. He falls in love with the idea is like, I feel like I can't write. So I feel like there's all these other people in my life killed themselves. And that's the only out for me too. And I don't know if there is an answer for that, well, but it's an interesting, it's well, an interesting right. question. What if you, can watch this documentary what i got out of this was yes he was a great writer i mean look several books were made into movies with paramount some people would say he's the greatest american yes. writer yes he i except for mark twain they pointed that out you know right or like Kurt Vonnegut. i will say this what i always appreciate about ernest hemingway is that like he's famously kind of an exaggerator but he actually did live a life of adventure. He wasn't like this quiet oh, yeah. writer. Yeah, he look, yeah. he went to the war and and right on the front. And, yeah, yeah. 
So I do appreciate that about him is that he didn't just talk the talk. He was actually out he there. Was, he was on the battlefield with these guys. Yeah, yeah. And practically captured and wounded. Right. Did they give him the – because I, I only know the basics of his life, but that he is accused of being an exaggerator or a serial fabulizer, fabulizer, fabulous. Like he would exaggerate. Like he was like he was at some important battles, but he he says he was there earlier than like the most horrific parts of World War One when he actually might have been there a few months later. No, just, they 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 tied it down to he was there when uh, when he said he was. Now I I don't know everything about the man's life, but this is the point that I'm trying to make. Talent is a gene you're born with. If you work and put in as Kurt Cobain did as Ernest Hemingway did, and you can get a break, you can have a lot of success. It doesn't come easy for you. You got to work at it. You can't let it get the best of you. You you can't be like, well, we all like Jeremy, but Jeremy doesn't like Jeremy. That's when you have problems. And I've, I've said this before. I enjoy watching biographies about people who are celebrities because you see what they what some of them go through and the mistakes they made you can avoid. Yeah, and I think it should just be also for celebrities too. You should also like you, you bring them right down to your level and they're sitting in your living room right across from you is what I'm trying to get at here. If Ernest Hemingway and let's he's obviously not the type of person who would take advice from someone, what would you have told him to keep him from doing that? Uh well at the time they really didn't have as much of it dry out. Going to rehab, yeah, because the drinking was the real downfall of the man's life, and the, and the depression. And uh, to me, you, he just had to to dry out. And whether he could have done it or not, I don't know. I, I'm not qualified. Now, I have known of people who are alcoholics and have struggled with it for many years, and some of them have had some success and. Sadly, others have died of cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah, that's the problem with someone that successful is that they have to hit rock bottom. Like Stephen King himself had a horrible addiction problem that he was alcohol and drugs. Several of his books where he's like, I don't remember writing those. He's that far gone. Well, the question, yeah. Even if hit some form of rock bottom to move on. Uh, I don't know as much about him, but when I watch his biography on PBS, we'll talk again. Okay. <laughs> Drugs and then get sober. Yeah, yeah. Some people I know more about than others, but I I really do think that when you watch biographies of people, you see the the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, and you can kind of figure out, you know, hey, yeah, you and I are in kind of the same boat. We we're both done stand up comedy and book shows. I met you in uh, open mics. And we both have to get out there and work for it. And you, after the pandemic, like for me, it's been like a year and plus of just like having to take a hard look in the mirror. Uh, what is the conclusion after all this period of like, now that you get like a second chance at life, like so much of us do, the world gets to open up again. What do you plan on doing differently? If anything. Well, I would, well, I haven't done anything since March of twenty. And what I would plan to do would be write out some new material, go to the open mics, test it out, then try to get into some book shows, 
and uh, get a reel and distribute it and hope for the best, which I've tried before. And But, you know, it isn't just the time and the work. It's you got to enjoy it and have fun with it. That comes on to it. And honestly, I, I've... I've been to very few open mics or book shows that I really didn't enjoy. I mean, maybe one in 10, but the other nine, I really did. You like to just get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I also like to get up with no material and go cold. So with the pandemic coming in, like, is this plan different than anything you did before the pandemic? Well, it, I think it's going to be a slower start with, with comedy here in Los Angeles and what most people realize is, yeah, uh, June 15th of 2021, California opens up, but it's going to take some time to get it opened up. And, and especially with comedy. Yeah. Because you're going to have to get the people to come back into the clubs. And yeah. just because we got the door open doesn't mean you walk in. I feel like there's more of a, uh, a desire to go out and see because there have been shows going back on. You see pictures. There are people out there. I think plenty of people realize, like, hey, I'm itching to get back out there. Yeah. Anybody I've talked to in the last, say, two months is just like like we are. Uh, I want to go. Uh, let's do it. But, uh, you know, some of these clubs do require you to be vaccinated before they want to let you in, which is, I th- think, a good thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long that's enforced, if only because they want as many people in there as possible. Like Disneyland currently stopped checking to see if people are, are vaccinated. I didn't know that. I was just in the news. Well, see, you're you're up on it. So, w- w- what other thing would you say was sports easy for? Were you in sports in school or anything like that? Cared less. I was into like artsy stuff way before, and, like. I did fencing one year and like it was fine, but like sports bores me to tears. I was all into like artsy stuff. I was never into like the cheerleader type of girl. I was always into like the artsy cool girl with a lot of well, what, what do you mean by artsy? Like a girl who does like acting or writing, knows about cool bands, stuff like that. You know, like the artsy cool girl. I don't even know if you are that familiar with that archetype right now. Uh yes and no. So so you were you in a writing club or a class, an English class or no, no, no. I would just, uh, I would do, there were writing classes in school. You'd have to do assignments like that. The only thing I would do, I did a little bit of theater and I did uh, improv in high school. You know, Second City in Chicago? I know it well. Yeah, yeah. So I did like their high school stuff starting like junior year and that was a big awakening for me. I can see that. I did uh, Second City out here in Los Angeles and we'll yeah. be right back in just a moment. Yeah, I studied with them for about a year. It's been some time ago here in L.A. You're from Chicago, aren't you? Yeah, man. Born and bred. How long have you been out here in L.A.? 12 years, I want to say. That long? Yeah, man. Right after school, I came out here with a bunch of friends. Most of them moved back, and then I'm one of the few people who stayed. And then one, a couple of them did move back. I'm literally at my friend's park. They did move back here. And everyone, all, like Chicago is an amazing city for creative arts and all that stuff. But like all my friends who moved back there were me like, oh, this is a terrible decision. So anytime I've had an inkling to go back, I've been like, eh, I might as well just stay in L.A. Well, I think you've made the right choice. Yeah, I hope so. Definitely better weather. 
Um, I have been to Chicago like seriously 10 times. I have been there from spring until fall. I have yet to be in Chicago in the winter when it's really bad weather. <laughs> yeah, you're not missing it at all. <laughs> no, I, and I don't want to be there in the winter time either because that would be very difficult. I, well, look at this. With the fun of global warming, soon you can go there in February and not freeze your butt off anymore. Uh, yeah, I, and, and I know it gets like 10 or 15 below zero and the wind chills. It gets below that, and the wind chills really what does you in. Yes, yes, that's bad. And and out here, it doesn't get cold like that at Thank all. Goodness, at all. So, uh, you did you come right out of college to LA to New York for a summer to study at Circle and Square Theater, and then I came out here. How did you like New York? I love it. A huge part of me always wishes I'd stayed out there, but I'd already made it arrangements with my friends to come out here but i love new york was uh was it were you doing stand-up in new york no because it was an intensive acting program so i was just doing that all day just like like you didn't have any free time to really explore the city that much like i want to do stand-up i want to do but as soon as i started doing the class i'm like oh there's no way i'm gonna have that kind of free time were you uh doing any plays off broadway no, because it was all just classes. It was like a seven-week intensive program, and then you were just studying with the various different people at oh, that school. Okay. Well, who did you study with? Alan Langdon was their big teacher. His uh, he, his biggest former student was Philip Seymour Hoffman, but he also taught uh, – what's her name from Sex and the City when she was like a kid actor. Was this method acting? Yeah, and I didn't even know that until I got there, and then I'm like, oh, it, was, it got very intense there. So was it the Meisner technique or do you? It was Stanislavski. It was Meisner. Stanislavski. Okay. I, I've studied Meisner out here. I just wondered. In Santa Monica. I'll give them a little plug. Uh, well, when you do, I've seen you do stand up a number of times. Oh, yeah? Yeah. If. Is it hard for you to, for instance, let's say you had 10 jokes in your pocket memorized down. Is it hard for you to go up on that stage when they call your name? Not any. Like, I, I think everybody gets butterflies, but, like, the longer you do it, you uh, get used to how to handle those butterflies. So if it's, like, a big show, I might freak out. But, like, open mics or mid-level shows or smaller shows, I don't genuinely. So if you were in the comedy store in the main room and there's 300 people out here who've paid for tickets and drinks tonight, would that make would that be a little hard for you sure i mean that's like a bigger show with more people so you're going to be a little more intimidated but also you know it also is going to vary on your mood sometimes you're going through something else in life and the stress might be getting to you sometimes it won't do, do you think when you get back to a i don't care if it's a mic or a book show but the first time you get back on that is that going to be kind of hard I've done a couple shows, like I told you before we started this, during the pandemic. So I don't know. I'm not planning on doing any big shows right away just because, you know, I want to dip my toe back in the water before just jumping right in. Right. But, I might do it. but it's, you know, like anybody, you're asking how has the world changed and how are you going to be different as a performer? But uh, I don't think so, but we'll see when I start doing stand-up again. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. Uh, I think the world's been turned upside down. 
Yeah, and in both a good way and a bad way. I think a lot of people have had to take a hard look in the mirror and be like, what do I want out of life? What am I going to do differently? Right. And things of that nature. Well, like last year, everything was closed. I was walking around the streets of L.A. uh, And now the city's coming back. Yeah, traffic. Back traffic's too, back all- yeah it was great to go out on the 405 and there was hardly anybody out there and it was also fun to go down sunset and nobody around but you know what i'm saying is now things are starting to pick up and do you find that's going forward do you think that's what where we're going to be I mean, who knows if there's going to be another variant of this or something else. I think it's interesting because, like, for a year, I felt like I was in almost, like, a time loop where it felt like you were in Groundhog Day where, like, it was, like, every day over and over again. And now that I get to walk back into the world and the life is is coming back, it's almost more stressful for me because I'm like, oh, shit, it's we're, life is starting again. What do you want to do? What do you want out of life? This is your, I don't want to say last chance, but it's like, here we go. Like you've been reminded that life is very temporary and that things either because of death or someone died from COVID or something else, or because the world can get shut down because of some crazy thing that happened. It makes you have to like really look back at your life, what you've done before and what you want to do in the future and see what you want this new version of life to be. If that makes any sense. Well, it really does because, uh, I think you're making a very valid point. Uh, we we've had so much interrupted and postponed and in the last 15 months that it, yeah it's been difficult for everybody to deal with it right and so like not just like stand up like how do you want to do things differently like you said you, you're basically doing the same thing as you did before but it's like what do you want to be different as a performer as a writer as a person in general like you got to take a hard look at yourself like what was i doing wrong before how have i changed as a person like I've started going to therapy again, which has like really opened my eyes about myself and a lot of different things about problems in myself that I've ignored for a long time and realized that there was just the tip of the iceberg of like all these different issues I've had and how it's had like a ripple effect on every facet of my life, both personally and professionally. Yes. And I, and congratulations on going to therapy. I'm very, I'm very, but it also feels like being reborn into the world and you've got to like look back in the mirror and be like, who is this person? And who am I going to be different going forward? Right. And still like come to terms with everything from my past and childhood and all that kind of stuff. And you're willing to work at it because I know you. Right. And like, not to put myself in the same way of like Hemingway and stuff, but like, I felt like at a certain point, like I've hit rock bottom. Like I have no choice, but to like make some big changes in my life and look in that mirror or else I'm not going to be a suicide, but like I've got to, address these issues like you've got to deal with your issues your issues are going to deal with you you know exactly yes i do understand what you're saying and that i kind of went through that last year too of thinking what's next yeah and for like the full year of it because i like i'd gone back together with a girlfriend i'm just like oh this is just this weird time loop i'm just get to spend a lot more time with this person i'm with and i was working on some stuff and then i was like the time loop has ended and we're back to the world. And it's like, well, how am I going to be different? What have I learned from this last year? And it's also the realization that like for the last 20 years of my adult life, I've ignored so many of my issues and not really put, I put a bandaid over the problem as opposed to really addressing it. And now I realize that I have this whole other long journey of issues that I've got to work on 
And now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, well, I've lost all this time when it's like these inner problems, these inner demons, these, like I talked before, this like legal team that's been casting self-doubt has been affecting me. And I've got to really sit down and be like, how am I going to deal with that? And that's going forward such a big question for me and realizing that this journey is so long that I'm going to have to work on. All right. I, and like, like the Lord of the Rings is a three book thing. And the, the pandemic has just been like the Hobbit and realizing that the real journey is still ahead of me going forward. Yeah. Uh, this pandemic is not over. I, I things are getting better, but it, it, it's just like, because I've been thinking so much about this, like the, the last century in the twenties was this whole big uh, period of change for everybody. And that the Spanish flu, which started that off, killed a whole bunch of people. But there's all these other changes that had to go through for the country and for humanity. And there's so much change going forward and realizing there's going to be all these other things that are going to affect us for the next decade of where society is probably going to be changing drastically. Yeah. And, and that's something we all have to, you know, you can only live your life one day at a time when you come right down to it. One minute at a time. One minute at a time. Well, that's true, too. Uh, let me ask you, Jeremy, I, we both do stand up comedy and this is kind of a, what comics do you admire that are headliners? Oof. Bill Burr, Rory Scovel, I've been getting into in a big way again. Uh, Beth Stelling, like anybody like Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock. What about you, man? Um, I've met Chris Rock a couple of times. Oh yeah? Yeah. I used to work at the Beverly Center in Los Angeles at Macy's. And actually, before I was doing stand-up comedy, one of the guys that worked there was doing comedy, and he knew, he knew Chris Rock, and he came in a couple of times. I've met him. He's a nice guy. Sure. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I like him. I, are there any – is there any others that you've uh, – uh, Jim Jeffries would be another person. Okay. Do, do you look at anybody and think – yeah, I, I, I'm on their level. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to compare myself to anybody else. <laughs> or they're on my level. <laughs> I'm just trying to be on Jeremy's level. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know what I mean. Uh, do you remember uh, a certain time when we did roast battle? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to forget it, but yeah. <laughs> the uh, Maybe it was, a, I'll say, a month ago. I was looking at my, I've got a YouTube site up and I hadn't seen it in a long time. And somebody, I don't know who did this, put up our roast battle. Because mm-hmm. they had put it, they, they'd filmed it. And did, did, you, did they put one, did they ever email one to you or put it up on your website? I guess on Twitter, I want to say in December about that. Oh, really? I guess I ignored it. Oh shit! What the hell is this? And then I was like, "Oh, that's that." <laughs> it's not the official. One. It's like, well, it's not like through Comedy Central or through the Comedy Store. It's like somebody made like a, I guess the people behind it, like a roast battle uh, page where they've got all the different right, there. right. And they had put it up through Periscope. I knew that. Yeah. And and I I think it was about a month ago. I I watched this thing, and and I have to tell you, I actually cried. The tears oh. just ran down. I don't know why. Happy tears or sad tears? Happy tears. 
like remember a different time of like, oh, this is when performing in front of people were was, was like fun. Was great. It was a, a hell of a show, and I'm not trying to brag or rub salt into your wounds, but I mean, it was just like, yeah, that's how it used to be. Let's go back to it now, or as soon as we can. You know. And and yeah, when when you could, uh, we did that in the belly room. It seats about what seventy five people. Yes, and they probably had a hundred in there, and everybody was rocking and rolling. Did you have fun doing that that night? No, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> well, you're honest, and I appreciate your honesty. I I do. Well, I had, do. I had fun doing it, and and I was I thought you were a very good sport about it. Hey, man, that's all you can do in life is try and be a good sport. Well, uh, not everybody's – you've seen some of those roast battles, and not everybody's a good sport about it. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, there have been a couple of famous cases where people have gotten pissed off. And I think for the most part, people have been. Like they know what they're getting involved in. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not here paying somebody compliments. I mean, that's not what it's about. But then again, you don't want to go too far. And uh, I well, I feel like that show is about going too far. <laughs> you you don't know what the show is. <laughs> yeah, it went pretty far. It really did. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I miss so much is that we can't like get together in the clubs and do shows and have fun and. and well, there are still just not shows in LA at least up until recently. Now there are right. You know what I mean. And shows are. Back, there's just not as many of them, and there's more coming back, especially after the fifteenth. Right, and, and there will be, and and things will get better. Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for being my guest tonight, and thank you. And <clears throat> nothing comes easy for me, and nothing ever will. Nothing comes easy for me. Thank you, and good night. All right, see you, Joe. Bye. <laughs>